welcome to another edition of Practitioner Radio, Pink Elephant's podcast for the IT management community. Welcome to Practitioner Radio, Pink Elephant's podcast for the IT management community, episode 39, Service Orchestration. Hey, it's Chris, and I'm here with my friend. Good morning, Chris. It's Troy. Year two. Year two. Can you believe how fast that went? No. And we've only got 30 minutes to do service orchestration, so we have to go really fast. I like that title. It's, you know, kind of, uh, you know, it's got alluring service orchestration. Well, yeah, it's, it's more syllables. And anytime you can use more syllables, you sound smarter. <laughs> so uh, little stats for those people who are in the audience. Thank you for coming today. Uh, if you need to leave, we're not, we're not offended. People ignore us all the time. This is our third year. We started January 24th, 2011. Yeah. So that's uh, almost three years. We have 19 hours of audio at 30 minutes a slice on SoundCloud. And you can find this on SoundCloud, iTunes, and I've heard there are cave scribblings. Cave scribblings. Well, I, I, you know, it's funny because wherever I go, people will talk about practitioner radio. That's, you know, it's, I'll be in the conversation and they'll say, hey, I had this guy send me this link and I really like that. And, and we get going on whatever conversation and what show and they even quote the show numbers. Yeah. Yeah, I try to quote the show numbers. Although I've, I'm involved in some other podcasts where the sometimes the hosts aren't as as uh, articulate and thoughtful as you. <laughs> oh, come on! All right. So uh, today we're going to cover circus or service orchestration. So you want to get us warmed up here? So service orchestration. Now, there's a lot being said today around how services are continually being externalized, and more and more organizations are are adding complexity to their supplier network. And it's, it's interesting because many organizations struggled for a long time on what is a service, but then they began getting into cloud and they began saying, oh yeah, well, I, I'm, I'm actually leasing a service, aren't I? Because I don't own CRM or this ITSM capability anymore. I'm actually leasing it by account, by the SIP. So this concept of outcome leasing is now taking up and, taking, and building in its, uh, its subscription you know, the CIO now is considered the conductor of the service organization that is made up not just of internal suppliers, but made up by a, a wide variety of external suppliers as well. And the, the key and the challenge to that, as you add more complexity to your service model, is how do you keep them all moving in the same direction in the same way? Because what you're doing is you're creating a family of various supplier types, and any family needs to share values and principles if they're going to work together in a harmonious type of environment. That's not always the case. You can add suppliers and not improve harmony. Would you agree? Yeah, I mean, suppliers can be difficult to deal with, but I would think in this service orchestration model, you'd have to have a lot to consider. I mean, probably traditional metrics don't even apply. It's one other thing to think about. We think about IT services all the time, but really we're in this service taxonomy where there's a cascading set of services. Mm. There's an end market product created by a service from the business, which is enabled by a business process, which is enabled by an IT service, which is enabled by an IT process. And we, internal IT organization, might be sourcing services from a third party, like compute or storage, or at least your WAN. So we literally have not just a service, but we have cascading services. 
And to understand end market outcome, you actually have to be on top of that whole cadence of service structure. How do you even start to get your head around that? So, I mean, obviously with the advent of people talking about cloud computing over the last five years, I can kind of understand that relationship with this external vendor. But like you said, there's a whole cadence of services and ranges of business values that now come into play. Uh, It's one thing to have a piece of cloud software. It's another thing to have some cloud servers. But then how do you start to manage and, and link those to the specific IT processes and then the business value? Well, the one group in IT that's supposed to have a handle on this is enterprise architecture. They're supposed to. They're supposed to. They're supposed to. Right. But even enterprise architecture... Well, is enterprise a myth <laughs> is a question I've been asking myself more and more. Is the enterprise a myth? Is that the question? Is enterprise a myth? Is there really a vision of enterprise? Or do I have infrastructure architecture and application architecture? If you go to talk to a real focused enterprise architect, they are modeling end product down through business process, down through IT functionality and enabling capability. And yes, if there are third-party suppliers, they have to continue that model. Right? But the challenge is these people in the architect group get this, but how do they share that information? What do they do with that information? They use it maybe for new system review, new system uh, design review, but is that information used in management? I'm thinking, I'm looking out to the crowd. Does anyone actually use that information other than the architect? Sometimes, I'm, yeah, Matt. The reality is we should, because if we're supposed to be responsible for service outcome management, we need to understand all the moving parts of this service orchestration. And literally, what does the word orchestration mean to you when you think about it in a non-IT context? The ability to harmonize and bring systems together and see the whole flow, and that's what it means to me. I don't know what it actually means. I can Google it, though. Well, we're here in Vegas, and there's shows, and, and okay, right? There's an orchestra somewhere here in Vegas, I'm sure. Yeah. What's the key role to make that orchestra all play along the same score? A good conductor. Right. Actually, good music. Well, good music. Good music is not necessarily a prerequisite, but a good conductor... It is if you've got taste. Okay. The first goal is standard. If I had a standard score, everyone had the same score, they knew their part in the score, the conductor can conduct against the score. Now, the bonus would be if I actually have a good score. That's okay. I agree. Okay. Okay. But the reality is, to make all these sections of my orchestra play together... I need two key elements, a common score and a common conductor who understands the score. Can I ask you a culture question? Go ahead. But if you've got an orchestra, a a conductor who's doing this, don't you have to have a pretty mature conductor who really understands the nuances of the orchestra and considers the audience so that they're not too loud one night on the strings and is very level-headed so that you don't get this siloed mentality kind of command control or conductor? Not everybody in the organization has to create the score, right? Mm. You're, the that's, people who that, write that, that's the music are not the entire orchestra. So this architect in the organization could help to write the score. Now, what does that mean in the context of ITSM? Um, about two years ago at this show, I was speaking to a gentleman from an oil company, uh, not to be named, and he was so excited because he, he pulled out this really glossy service catalog and he said, look at this. Yeah. He said, here's my services. Here's my, uh, my compute and my data center services. Here's my professional services, my application services. And then on the back end, here's an appendix. And here are the basic processes and the policies and the KPIs. And you know what we're doing with this? We're using this to externalize a good portion of our organizational services. But we're using this in the RFP process. So that when the external providers are bidding against my RFP, they're bidding against this 
service catalog, and set of defined practices. In essence, they had created a common score for this orchestra, one selected to play. Now, who is this conductor? Is this an external person? It's the business relationship manager. <laughs> well, okay, that goes back to episode 30. Sorry. I, I would say that this is your, your service management office, your service management. This is our last this show. This was the show last year. That's right. So not everybody has to understand the entire score, but there has to be one score and someone has to understand it all. And supplier management brings in the people understanding their accountability to the score. But someone that has to enable all the players in this orchestra to commonly play at the right time, at the right place in the score. Without the score, without the conductor, what happens? Some off-sounding music. It's chaos. Well, okay, that's a nice way of saying it. Or perhaps it's our current state of managed suppliers. And then we get mad at our suppliers and we say, we don't like that supplier because they played at the wrong time in the wrong tune. And so we get rid of that supplier, right? And we bring in another supplier and we don't give them a common score. So how, how much better do they do? Not, not good at all. Not good at all. And then we blame the supplier for not performing when we didn't come up with a common score, nor do we have roles in our organization to help all the players play at the right time. And can you get an orchestra right the first time? No. You've got to practice. Yeah. Well, I think the key to... Can I just say something to the crowd? The key to a good orchestra, I don't think it's practice. I think you've got to select the right people. You can be a good shepherd by learning how to like herd sheep, or you can pick some darn good sheep. And how many of you work with sheep you would just rather replace? That sheep just will not go the right direction, no, no matter what I do. But I'm being sheepish. Bah. Bad. Okay. Bad. So, you know, someone has to understand the big picture. We, we are... But that's such a big job. I mean, this, when we talked about service management office last year, we talked about the different roles when the service management office. And I know we're a year further along, but I'm still a little slow. You know, you, we've got all the people in that office. That seems like a really mature organization, something that maybe Kathy Kirch would run. I think you are working on it. In fact, Kathy is part of a service management office. But, you know, actually, I'm being a bit simplistic when I say the service management office alone because there's two types of things we have to orchestrate. There are services, mm. right, and we have a service owner. Yep. And, and that service owner... Break it down. Come, this is good. Break it down. Right. Has a responsibility to manage the life cycle of that service and various components of that service will be supplied by different suppliers, internal and external, app dev, operations, MSP, cloud. So the service owner is in essence the service orchestrator or the the conductor or the service. Okay, so now you lost me. So now we have multiple conductors? No, no. We have multiple services. Uh You got me there. Right. And for every service... The service owner is responsible for understanding all of the players that participate in generating the outcome for that service. Okay. okay. Right? Now, you can raise it up a bit and talk about a category of service, data center services, web services, and then you might have a service executive that is responsible for you know, multiple mini orchestras within their domain of influence. You know, we have governance and ownership of this bigger picture as we go up. The challenge with this is we, we, we thrive in a world of task specialization, right? We want to just focus on the thing you paid us to do, manage databases, manage applications, manage infrastructure. And no one wants to be accountable for understanding the total score. Even Now, though- in this model of service orchestration, it almost sounds like it would be very agile to new changes in disruptive technologies. Is that kind of the idea of why you would build it like this? Well, the only constant in life is change, Right. 
services are continually evolving. You're continually changing your supply model. You're continually changing the components that comprise your service or enhancing your service and adding new supply. You, you have to be on top of this. The service owner has to understand the complexity of the, of, the, of the entire score for that service. Now, the other side of that is the professional service area, and this is where we get into service management, ITSM. Now, when we have a value chain of demand through to run, strategy, design, transition, operation, we have to have someone managing that score as well. So I have various suppliers at each part of the value chain. Some doing strategy. When I say supplier, remember I'm thinking internal supplier, external supplier. You're just someone's doing that part of the value chain. So we have someone doing the strategy component, having input into design, having input into uh, build transition into production and run. It's someone has to have the full score mapped out. This is called an operating model. Right. And I'm doing a session on the strategic role of an IT operating model plug. later today. Plug, plug, plug. 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 Um, because that's the score at a management practice level. And that's where the SMO, the service management office, needs to understand the operating model, who plays what parts in the operating model, what frameworks apply at what parts of the operating model. It's not all ITIL, right? Some CMMI, some TOGAF, some PMI, PRINCE2. And that SMO has to be broader in their concept than just ITIL. Mm. Because ITIL is not the entirety, entirety of the game of provision. <gasps> Sacrilegious. Let's wait. There's lean sessions here. There's there's agile sessions. No, no. Here. For me personally, that was a gasp. That was not a. I don't gasp over the conference. It sounds a bit dramatic, Chris. Uh, me dramatic? Okay. Not... <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm, I'm going to shut up here. No, 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 no. Please don't shut up. I'm, remember, I'm, I'm learning. It's just weird because I usually don't sit next to you. So I want to do this when I'm learning. <laughs> All right. But I have to like listen like this. And... You know, this is actually even more simple. Is anyone here familiar with the concept of systems thinking? Yes. Me. All right. I get that. What is the premise of systems thinking? We all work within. You ask, I guess you can ask them, can you? Well, they can't, they can't <laughs> hear me, so you've got to answer this question. What is the premise of systems thinking? Everything works within a, a system. Even the, the most disparate things all kind of work in conjunction. I mean, I see systems in everything I look at. Do you have a more articulate way to put that? No, it's cause and effect. Everything is related to everything, and yes. you have to know the cause and effect, right? You know, the horse was crippled because of the loss of a nail in the shoe. And the horse didn't get to the battlefront and didn't, the, the, war, the, the battle was lost. Because the battle was lost, the and war was lost. it could have been lost. lost because the, the nail was, that didn't get put in because the blacksmith was sick from something he bought from the baker from a bad crop of wheat. I know it can get silly and complex, but the, thing, the concept here of system thinking is I think broader than my current task and I understand my role within the context of a system of mm. value. And many people just think that's much too hard for my head. I'd rather not think about it. I'm going to think about this one thing you've given me to do, this one task. And this goes back to the earliest evolution of industrial design where you had a complex system of creating a Model T car and I had a largely uh, uninformed and rural-type workforce. So I had to break down my complex system for value generation into a single task. And I'm saying, Kathy, you just take the brake pedal, okay? Carlos, you got bumper. You're the bumper guy, right? And Matt, you're going to take axles. And when, I'm going to put that in your job description. You're just the axle guy. And when someone comes along and asks you to look at something else, it's not your job. right? You're just doing axle. In fact, I'll give you a whole career of certifications on axle management. And because I did this, because of task specialization, I had to put foremen over five tasks and senior managers over those foremen. And, and we had vertical organization structures focused on task specialization. But what happened at the bottom level? What happened to Matt's understanding of the system? 
He doesn't have any. No, because I've got my application. I've got my database. I've got my server. Nothing else makes a difference because you've paid me to do this one thing. And I can't tell you how I actually add value to the greater system. I have lost context. In some ways, it, I understand that it would do some people's head in because I made that crazy. Sorry about that. I thought I'd do a chigger on a chigger. But we run our families like this and systems type thinking. You know, everything from the mortgage to the heat. I mean, my we know wa- how to think like this. My, my wife has a calendar on the wall, which is our systems a pa- calendar. A paper calendar? A paper calendar. Wow. She's got all of our lives mapped out on this calendar. Uh, you know, the, the soccer games, the, the dentist appointments. If she didn't have the system, of management system, none of us would show up anywhere. Mm. That almost leads me to want to ask you, or what's the common score? That paper calendar is our common family score. Yes. Does system thinking almost revolve around event-based thinking? Well, events are transactions within a system, and okay. events impact, cause and effect, right? Other events. All right. I can deal with that. Well, what is a CMDB? Truly. Oh, my God. Okay. Sorry. Carlos uh, is here, so I'm going to take advantage of this. The <laughs> CMDB Carl's imperative guy right down there. He's not here. He's, he's disavowing his presence. No, I mean, CMDBs is one of these things I think we've talked about for a long time. I, I can't think of traditional, I can't think of CMDBs like I was taught it anymore because things are so different than they were five years ago. So, I mean, it used to be very easy for me. You know, even before you got to a service, I had some things that had dependencies, that had links, that had dependencies, and I could trace them back to a user. And at some point, if there was a, some type of issue or some type of problem we were troubleshooting, we'd start to log it against a configuration item and then work up the chain to try to figure out where it is. Today, you know, if you take the CMDB imperative, you know, um, <laughs> configuration management systems... It's a system. ...seem to make more sense to me. But if I were to go back to Pink 2004... All I, I couldn't, I couldn't constant, I couldn't have done a system in, too much. In general, a CMDB is a system diagram of relationships. Okay, now, what if your organization doesn't manage against system thinking, doesn't understand what a system is, or even what a service is? What is the business case for a CMDB system diagram? Well, people like pictures, so I'm going to say the business case is pretty big. But that picture takes effort to manage mm. and to create a score. Mm. I'm quite happy to tell you, unless your organization is service-oriented or systems-thinking-oriented, you will never build a business case strong enough to create a CMDB. Because you don't need a system if you're doing technology management. No. All I need is inventory and asset data, broken down by group, managed by each group in separate isolation, because we're living in mythical isolation. Mm. In fact, you won't build a business case strong enough to convince people to put the effort into managing a system until you know what that is and you manage against it. That's the biggest, number one biggest issue why people think CMDB is so scary hard. It's not because it is. It's because they haven't got the principle of systems thinking and they don't care about managing systems. They're managing technology isolated by task specialization. Well, but to go back to like you said earlier, most people are hired to do the axle. Yeah, that's the axle guy right there. if, If you're in your 40s and you've spent your entire life doing axle and somebody already automatically says to you, hey, I need you to start doing the systems like thinking. It's not easy. I mean, I agree with you with what you said about CMDB that you really can't take it on until you understand systems thinking. But I don't think you can just say that to an audience and drop it because people aren't programmed to think that way, in my opinion. Although I think when you leave work and what frustrates me about work, 
when I have problems with IT or infrastructure issues, it's because I see people who don't see the whole system. They just see me as an endpoint with a problem, and they want to create a direct line to me to fix it. And I get frustrated because I want them to fix the bigger issue. Because it's the only it's the bigger issue which produces value. My one component is not a service there you unto go. itself. The bigger issue creates the value. System creates value. A value system. That's and we have to manage against systems. But today... We have people, we know who manages the component. We know who manages the collection of components, the domain. But who's managing the system lifecycle? Who's managing the service lifecycle above systems? Which is many to one. The architect. And this is the seventh time you've been here. Well, the architect knows it, but he's not telling anybody because he's in his white tower and he's not, you know, actually down here. It was a matrix reference. (laughs) The blue pill or the red pill? The reality is we're missing governance above the technical domain. No one is managing above the domain level. Very few. Why is that? Because we have very little systems thinking in IT. We, we lack the desire for accountability for big picture. Oh, there we go. We, we lack we, the, des- the accountability. Well, maybe the desire is there, but okay. there's no vision to maintain it at the senior level. Right. Right? It's, ta- it's technical optimization. Ooh, ooh, that hurt. Yeah. That's what it is, though, isn't it? If you're a service organization, you're managing outcomes and systems. If you're a technical organization, you're optimizing technology assets. Trey, you have less than three minutes to wrap this up. Oh, this, one went, this went all over the place. Well, it's, you're very engaged in the audience. I'm trying not to look. Okay. All right. The reality is, let's get back to the simple premises. Yes. How do you expect a multi-supplier environment to operate in a harmonious way without a common score? Who's going to develop that common score? And then more importantly, who's going to be the conductor for all of the parties in that environment? Without the common score, without your conductor, good luck on making music that anyone wants to listen to. Mm. And the band played on. And our, rep- and our reputation just keeps spiraling down. <sighs> it's so hard to be in IT. Troy, thank you for year two of doing this, but year three of doing it uh, in general. For those of you who've never heard Practitioner Radio, like I said, you can just Google Practitioner Radio and find it on iTunes. If you're not an Apple person, there's other apps for it, and it's on Troy's blog and a bunch of other places. I'd like to thank everyone for coming out this morning. I don't want to scare anyone, but we end this show with a very unique way. And I'm, Did you notice I'm, I'm easing into this? You are. You're preparing them. I'm easing this. Yes. How, how many of you... Okay, some of you know what I'm about to do. Okay. So at the end of each show, I try to get... Troy to sum up the show in something the size of a tweet and we call it a thunderbolt but what some of you may not know if you've never heard this and it's great background music if you're working just put practitioner radio on and listen to it is we do this thing called Troy's thunderbolt but it's more so but I say it in a certain way so I'm going to try to tone it down for the conference where we're going to go are you ready I'm ready let's do it it's time for Troy's thunderbolt tip of the day Okay, Chris, to fully be on top of service orchestration, you need to understand the full cascade of services from end market back to your back suppliers. You have to understand the larger system of generating value. Wow, and you generate a lot of value, and you're a fabulous human system. Thank you so much, Troy. Thank you, Chris. And thank you for the audience who came out to listen to this today. We appreciate it. We hope you have a wonderful show, and your contributions to service management in the community are greatly appreciated. Peace.